It's really great to be here. And before I say what I need to say, I want to say congratulations because we have a new baby in the house. Not Timothy, but we have a little Daniel who's going to be in the house. Congratulations to Justice and, and Anne. They're not here, but a little brother for Timothy and Anne's well, Justice. And yeah, we rejoice with them, don't we? Wonderful. Thanks for everybody who, who uh, prayed. Uh, for me whilst I was away. It was a real tough trip. (laughs) I was really suffering for Jesus. For those who have no idea what I was on about, I've just spent a week in Orlando um, not seeing Mickey. John wanted to go and see Mickey Mouse and have a day, but I said, John, we can't do that. How can I go with any credibility back to my church and say I've been on a missions conference? But we just was there with uh, around 6,000 church planters uh, for around the globe. I want to say God is doing some exciting things. It's quite fascinating what God is doing and what God is up to. And uh, one of the things that I prayed for, and some people were praying that there would be divine connections, and it was just incredible how the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Because the first person that I bumped into in the queue, I'd said to John on the, on the plane, I said, Elim, are they planting churches? He says, I'm sure they are. I said, who's the church planting director? He said, I have no idea. That was on the plane. The first person I bump into, the Elim Church Planting Director in a queue, Gary Gibbs. Yeah, so real connection with the Derby area was fascinating. We're going to be meeting up. There was another email that came in of a church. I won't, for the podcast, it's, it is amazing how it goes around the world, but somebody had made contact with us whilst we we're away and said that uh, there are a church in America, they give get this, $13.5 million a year to missions worldwide. They want to invest some money in church planting in the United Kingdom. They would like to talk to us. So that was another thing that we thank God for. And, um, and then we had contact with the Holy Trinity Brompton, Nicky Gumbel and Alpha, and um, the advisor to the Bishop of London, Rick Thorpe, my namesake. I actually, when I met him, I said, he said, we've got the same name. I said, we may have the same name, but we haven't got the same voice because he talks like this and I talk like this. And uh, so uh, we'd, we'd invited him to come to something that we're organizing and he will be with us actually on a Tuesday night. We've organized a Tuesday night event with him. Wonderful guy. And I'd said to Helen, who's helping me with some administration for church planting, I said, Helen, just make contact with him to see whether we can meet because I knew he was at this conference. Anyway, we'd heard nothing. Again, the first session I'm sat in, I'm just sat down. Who walks through the door slightly late and sits beside me? Rick Thorpe. And it was just wonderful, just, just the divine connections. I just want to encourage each and every one of us that God is ordering our steps. If we keep trusting him with everything, he'll make it all clear. So thank God for just a great trip, and we just believe that God will do great things from there. Just the other thing to say as well, um, that uh, there are a number of leaders uh, pastors, elders, staff who are going to be traveling to the AOG conference this week. Uh, It's a a three-day event uh, organized with John and Phil and the other national leaders uh, of Assemblies of God. Please, um, I know Phil would value your prayers because he's leading a business session with a group of ministers. The first session he's opening it, and that's at 12 o'clock on Tuesday. So for those people who really are called to prayer, can I ask you that you pray for him? that God would help him. And also, I'm doing a forum session, so not the big session with about 
300 church, potential church planters on Wednesday. I have no idea what time it is, but I know it's in the afternoon. And again, I'd value too. Phil knows more than me. And I'd value your prayers with regards to that too. If you've got a Bible, please turn with me to John in chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5. And uh, the idea was this morning that I would just speak into the life of the church, not around a series, but I just want to take the opportunity to just speak into this. And it's something that's been bubbling in my heart. In my own personal devotion, I've been going through the book of John uh, from January right through to now. And interestingly, I, I keep getting stuck at John chapter 4. And there's a reason why I keep getting stuck at John chapter 4, because the Lord keeps talking to me about it. And uh, the, 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 the title of this morning is, You Are the One to Reach the One. I just wonder if you'd nudge the neighbor at the side of you and say to them, You are the one to reach the one. Everybody do it. You are the one to reach the one. I'll say it again, just in case you haven't got it. You are the one to reach the one. What I want to do this morning is I want to take the opportunity to reaffirm a value of this church. This church is known for many things. We're not a famous church. We're just a church that's in a town, two towns actually, Ilkeston and Mansfield. We have a deep desire to plant out and and do more. But one thing I believe that we are known for, in a small way, is a deep love for lost people. And this is explained in our, one of our statements that we make, that we have a desire to love and serve our community. We have a deep desire to love lost people. Now, if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian or you're a first-time visitor or you're just on a little bit of a faith journey, I'm not going to be asking you to respond to the response that I'm going to give to the general people here, church family. So you're off the hook. You can just listen to me and just enjoy it. I'm going to draw a response from you, but it's going to be different to the Response I'm going to ask to draw from people who do know Jesus. But if you are here and you don't know Jesus, what I would ask is that you would enjoy it, but I would also ask that you would have your heart open because you're going to hear something of God's heart towards mankind. I came into a realization, and it's only been in recent years that I've come into this, and it's this, God is not angry with me. I was a believer, but I thought that God was angry with me. Every time I did something wrong, I thought that God was angry with me. And God is not angry with us. The only way I can describe it, and I'll use an an illustration of yesterday, I thought, how can I best describe it? It may not be a best example, but it's my only example that I could think of. That I was in the garden, I had the joy of being in the garden yesterday. We're just trying to get the back garden sorted out. So it's a messy job. A lot of soil and digging and all kinds of stuff. And Eleanor came and helped, Annie was out. But certainly Isaac and Lilia were very involved. You've seen kids and had shorts on and they were muddied up and, and whatever. And they're all messed up. I didn't say to Isaac and Lilia, once they were showered, 
come to daddy and then I'll love you and cuddle you and I love you. I just had the opportunity in their mess, yeah, to just come and sit on my knee. And I used to think that God only accepted me when I was dressed and clean. And I was talking about being a Christian here. And I was completely misunderstood because God loved me no matter what my state of my life was. See, some Christians here, the only way I can describe it is you're messing up. There's some murk around your lives. But I want to tell you this morning, God still loves you. He loves you so much. God is not angry with you. He loves you. Just come in your mess. Just come and sit beside him and sit on his knee. So it's a realization that I had to come to that God is not angry with us because God loves people. And he expressed it in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to talk about for the next few minutes is the thought and the concept around us, you, you are the one to reach one. So you are the one that God wants to use to be an influence. You may say, well, I can't do that, Christian, because I just go to bits being on the platform. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a communicator. I'm not particularly smart, and I'm not particularly great, and I understand all of that. But I want to show you how Jesus has called you to make a difference. Because it has nothing to do with standing on a platform. And it has nothing to do with, you know, becoming this great author or, or preacher. It's about you being the influence where you're at. And I want to take John chapter 4. I wonder if we could just um, read just two verses, 4 and 5, because, and then we'll, we'll, I'll just paint the picture. It says here, now he had to go, talking about Jesus, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. You may say that's a strange text to work from. Well, verse 4, let's go back to it. It says there, now he had to go through Samaria. Jesus was simply on his way to somewhere. And he was passing through Samaria. It was an everyday experience. He was doing nothing extraordinary. See, oftentimes we think we have to be in an extraordinary environment to do an extraordinary thing for God. But actually, God always uses the ordinary to do an extraordinary thing. Have you got that? So we're always doing ordinary things in our lives, but God wants to do something extraordinary in our ordinary day-to-day activity. Now, Jesus was just coming through Samaria. And he landed at a place, a city in Samaria. And I want to take the story of this because there's something that happens as he sits at this well, because he comes into contact with a Samaritan woman. Just raise your hand if you're familiar with this story in John chapter 4. Just give me an understanding. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't be ashamed by that. But somebody give it a big wave if you know what I'm talking about. There's others of you who don't. Well, for everybody, so everybody's involved in it, I want to just talk about what happens here. Jesus is passing through. He's doing something quite ordinary. 
he's, he's, he's hungry because the disciples go off to get some food and he's also thirsty. And what it does, it shows me the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was very human. He was also God, but he was very human. And as he waited at this well for his disciples to come, something significant took place. Because there was a woman that came to this well. You may say, well, what's significant about this? Well, I want to note three things about this woman. One of the points that I'm going to make, my first point, I'm actually going to use one of the points that Phil made. And if you haven't had opportunity, you must listen to Easter Sunday, Mansfield, uh, about convincing proofs from Phil's message. I was deeply impacted by it. There was four things that he said. But his first point that he made was that Jesus came to a woman of disrepute. And we see the same point. Here, Jesus, this woman at the well, the first thing we we should note is this, and I just want to get it out there. This woman who was sat or came to the well where Jesus was, was a woman of disrepute. I just want it out there. Now, it goes on to say why this woman was a woman of disrepute. Because Jesus talks to her and says, go and fetch your husband. Well, I haven't got a husband. He says, you're quite right in saying you haven't got a husband. In fact, the man you're living with isn't your husband, and you've had five blokes before that. Read the text in John chapter 4. I did a bit of digging. Because actually, it doesn't really say this in the, in the, in the, in the Bible, but actually... The Greek word for husband could mean man or sir. And there are some commentators who actually believe that the word husband is the wrong word. What it should read is this, that you are right when you say you have no man, as in husband. The fact is you have had five men. She was never legally married to any of them. And the man that you now have is not your husband. So some commentators actually believe that this woman was just free and loose. She was just out there. She, it wasn't even that she got legally married. She was just living with these, with these guys. She was a woman of disrepute. She was a woman who was very familiar with men. I heard while I was at the conference, and I was struck by this, because you must understand something. I've been stuck at John chapter 4. In fact, John Partington walked into my room. I was just reading the Bible and just writing some things. And he said, where are you in your devotion? I said, I'm just stuck at John chapter 4. That for the same day, the first session, the big session that we went to, the, 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 the preacher said, I'd like you to open to John chapter 4. It was very, very interesting. I'd never come across this before because this woman of disrepute, Dave Gibbons said this, many men had touched her body but only one man had touched a soul. And it might be you're here today and there's been many men or many women who have touched your body, but there's only one man who can touch your soul. And his name is Jesus. She was a woman of disrepute. The second thing I need to say about this woman is she was an outcast. She was an outcast. How do you know I was an outcast? Well, you've got to read the text. You've got to understand why the Bible says certain things. It says in in, in John 4, verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour is noon, 12 o'clock. She was an outcast because Bible records tell us that the well was a good two-mile walk from the city 
to the well. Why would this woman travel in the heat of the day? She traveled in the heat of the day because she wasn't allowed to mix with the other people. Because she was an outcast. She was ashamed. She was embarrassed. She was, a, she was a disgrace. She was an outcast. That's why she traveled at noon. So what a, not, it wasn't just amazing that Jesus was talking with a Samaritan. Not only was he just talking with a Samaritan, he was talking with a Samaritan woman. But what to make matters worse is this was a woman of disrepute. And also because of her reputation, she was now an outcast. This woman was not somebody that people wanted to associate with. It's the kind of woman, ladies, that if you saw your husband talking to you, you'd think, what's going off there? Hello? Or you ladies, you'd walk the other side of the road because we don't want to be that kind of person. And yet Jesus broke through every social barrier and said, she's no longer an outcast because I want to spend some time with her. So she was... A woman of disrepute, she was an outcast, but get this, they're what people were saying about her, but this is what she saw in herself. Because it says in in verse 9 of John chapter 4, Jesus talks to her about getting a drink, and we can't go into the text of that, but basically he's, he's saying to her, I can give you something that will last you for eternity. You're trying to get draw water from a well, but I can give you well, uh, water that will never run dry. But before Jesus gets into that, she says this in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That word association, I was reading into it a couple of months ago. I thought, this is an interesting word. What it basically means in the Greek is, it's it's a word that describes no dealings. I should have no dealings. You should have no dealings with me. And the reason why you should have no dealings with me is because the Greek word, which is karomi, which means I have no value, no use, and no usefulness. In other words, she was saying, you should not associate with me because I am valueless, useless, and insignificant. That is what she was really saying. You should not be associating with me because I have no value, no usefulness, and I am utterly insignificant. What I realized in this is there are people all around our workplaces, our schools, our shops, our neighborhoods, our, our factories, our universities, our colleges, who feel exactly like this woman. She has a reputation. She feels she's on the outside looking in, and to make matters worse, she actually starts to say this about herself, that I have no value, no use, and I am utterly insignificant. But what I realized is is, it's just as bad is that I have walked around with my eyes closed because very often we make excuses like I am too busy. What it really means is I'm too self-absorbed. People call it focus. I actually think it's self-absorbed to notice people like this. That God has placed in our worlds, remember Jesus was just passing through in the ordinary, 
He wasn't doing anything extraordinary. He was just passing through. But as he passed through, Jesus took the opportunity to see a woman that God had ordained to be there and for he to be the agent of change for this woman. Let me tell you this morning, guys, that will be as soon as you leave this building, some of you are going to head to Tesco. Some of you are going to meet up with a person for a meal. Some of you are going to go out this, this evening. Some of you are going to do all kinds of things. There's going to be others, others of you who are tomorrow going to be in work or some of you are going to have the bank holiday. There's all going to be kinds of opportunities to be the one to reach the one. See, Jesus didn't need a big crowd. I'm intrigued by Jesus because actually, what did he always try to do when the crowds are around him? He tried to retreat and withdraw. We always want big crowds. Why do we want big crowds? I hear a lot of people who are after big churches and big crowds. I'm more and more convinced that God wants to do something great, but it's not about building a mega church. It's about us seeing an area impacted by God. Again, I was impacted by this statement. You know, see, what we don't need is multi-sight. What we need is multi-light. We need multiple lights all across the area. When I heard that during this week, something again went to my spirit. I thought, God, that is it. That's what I've been trying to, that's what I've been seeing. Can you remember those dots, that vision that we put on? That's what it was, multi-light. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I knew God was birthing in me. Because actually, I'm, I, you have to hear me. I am committed to seeing thousands, but not necessarily gathered in one place. Because actually, I'm not really interested in the crowds. What I am interested in is in the one. And Jesus reached the one, and as he reached the one, then guess what happened? The crowds came. We must get beyond this busyness, this self-absorbed kind of life, and realize that we have been placed in our surroundings for such a time as this. Do you believe that this morning? Does anybody believe that this morning? You see, Jesus took the opportunity. The only way I can describe it was during a lunch break. He was having a lunch break. You say, I haven't got time to talk to anybody. He was, he was on a lunch break. Read the text. Just read it, John 4. I haven't got time. He dismissed the disciples said, go and get some food. He was waiting for a drink. He was at the well. He was clearly thirsty. He was on a lunch break. And he took the opportunity to do this. You see, we can all do this. I started by saying, well, I'm not a speaker. I'm not a communicator. I'm not a preacher. God's not asking you to be. Let me apply it to you. This morning, God's not asking you to be a preacher or a communicator. All he's asking you to be is to be the one to reach the one. You may say, I'm not getting crowds. That's fine. No problem. All I'm asking you this morning is to make yourself available for the one. It's interesting that what came out of that, we must read into this and the time's nearly gone from us, but what happened here was, That as he begins to talk to this woman, God begins to speak. God the Father begins to show Jesus things about this woman. I'm more and more convinced, more and more convinced, that the time I spend in God's presence, then God is able to then trust me to give me information about other people that are the key to unlock their lives. God wants to give us the information. He wants to download the information about people, not so that we can gossip, not so we've got one over them, but there's a key to unlock their lives because I really believe there are many people in this area who are ready to respond to Jesus Christ. They're just looking for the one person who will reach the one. 
There are many people who are sat at wells, water plate, watering holes, coffee shops, pubs. Wherever that may be, that's where they are. And they're just looking for this living water. They just don't know where it is. They're looking for answers. There's a cry in every one of their hearts to receive something fresh and new. Something that's going to last. Something that's going to feed them. Something that's going to live in them. And we have the answer. His name is Jesus. So Jesus took the opportunity through the prompting of the Spirit that led to a life transformed. I'll say it again. You are the one to reach the one. Jesus spoke to her and uh, said some very significant things to her, which I've already mentioned. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five blokes before that. But then listen what she says in verse 28. Well, let's read from verse 27 because... There's some dialogue that happens and then it says this. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah. Listen, just hold that there for a minute. That is an amazing thing. She was an outcast, but the very thing that happened to her is she went back into the town. She engaged the people who were like with disdain. But then this is what she said. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. The reason she was able to say that is because everybody knew everything she ever did. Everybody in the town knew what she was like. They all knew she was loose. They all knew she was, she was, she was easy. They knew what kind of woman she was. So for her to come in and say this kind of statement was remarkable. Could this be the Messiah? And then what does it go on to say? Verse 30. They came out of the town. Who's that? The people. And made their way towards him. Keep going. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. There were crowds that were coming out. You see, you are the one to reach the one. As you reach the one, the crowds will come. And often we've been trying to think, well, we want the crowds. No, all we need to do, every one of us needs to take collective responsibility to be the one to reach the one and as a result of that revival broke out how do I know that let's go to verse 39 and 41 because it says there many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony he told me everything I ever did Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. We haven't got time to open up this. I mean, we often just race on to the next verse. He stayed with them two days. I was really impacted by that. There's all sorts of things that time has gone. I wrote in my Bible, he didn't just acquaint himself with the world. He lived with them. He loved and served them. That means to linger longer with people you don't know. He created margin to spend time. And he focused upon the most important thing, lostness. 
You see, in our busyness, we forget what really matters. It's about lostness. John T., I know you're in a sales job now, and that's great, and you need to do your very best for you know, your business, but don't forget the real mission, why God created you here. And in that context is to speak into lostness. Now, you need to be selling product for your thing. I'm not asking you to do something. Steve Holmes has got a great testimony of when he was at the bank and shoving tracks under and all the rest of it, nearly getting sacked. I'm not asking you to do But don't lose sight. Dave, you're selling houses, but don't lose sight of what God's really called you to do. You've been given a gift from God. It's called eternal life. It's called eternal life. Now, you want to sell houses, you want to sell them in abundance, and you want to collect that big bonus for the company and for yourself. All good stuff, great. But don't forget what God's really called you to do, and that is connect with lostness. Steve, Morgan, whoever you are, Bob, don't, don't lose sight of what, why we are here. It's to connect with lostness. You are the one to reach one. Or otherwise, all I become, if I lose sight of that, all I become is a professional pastor. Marrying, burying, dedicating, a few nice sermons. Know how to do it. Now, I am the one to reach the one. That is what God is calling each and every one of us to do. I'll finish with this. Oh, there's so much I could say from this passage. All I'll say is this, in closing. On the 28th of January, 2014, all I can say is I felt the Lord speak to me. So read it together, shall we? From, from uh, verse 38. He goes on to say, prior to that, Jesus then talks to the disciples and says to the disciples, do you not say four more months and then the harvest? No, open your eyes, look and see the fields are white unto harvest. The fields are white unto harvest. What he was basically saying is the Samaritan field is ripe and ready now. It's ripe and ready now. I really felt the Lord speak to me about in the 28th of January 2014. I need to open my eyes and look and see the fields are white unto harvest. Everybody in this country is saying it's too hard and whatever. I'm actually saying by faith. And I'm just asking the Lord to keep turning it over in my heart. I want to see the fields are white and to harvest now. How could this church double in size in a year? It can do. We've got to open our eyes and begin to see that the fields are white and to harvest now. As we are the one to reach one, God will do it. But this is what he said to me. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I felt a quickening in my heart to say that God was saying to me, Christian, Arena Church, and at that point, with all that I will begin to do with Assemblies of God, is that actually we're going we're gonna to have the joy of reaping the harvest, and then we haven't even worked for it. Others have done the hard work, but we will reap the, the benefits of their labor. Have you got that? I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I believe this Samaritan field is ripe unto harvest. What does a Samaritan group consist of today? I asked Phil while I was away to just give me an understanding. I thought this was right. When it talks about Samaritans, it talks about an, an ethnic group that's on the fringes. It's out there. That would be right, wouldn't it, Phil, in terms of its essence? 
What is, so we think ethnic groups, we took, think of nationalities. I'll come to that. Let me give you a list. If you're rich or poor, if you're a renter of a home or a homeowner, if you're black or white, blue-collar, white-collar, law-abiding, law-breakers, imprisoned, free, upright, loose-living, educated, uneducated, you're a church-goer, you're a church-hater, you're old or you're young, you're disabled, you're healthy, you're divorced, you're widowed, Asians, blacks, East Europeans, let me break it down even further, Chinese, Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, African, Caribbean, Latvian, Poles, Romanians, Albanians, let me break it down even further for youth culture, chavs, emos, I have no idea what these means, rockers, hardcore, Scene kid, hipster, townie, goth, greb, mod, toff, skater, drug culture, crime culture, university culture. All these categories are Samaria. And God says to us that others have done the hard work, but you are going to reap the benefits of their hard work. If I can say as bold as this, I believe that God is going to send us to places, towns and cities that we've actually done nothing in. And God's going to do a great Revival and a great harvest in those areas. Therefore, we must make sure that we are utterly ready and we must make sure that we take care of what gives to, gives to us very carefully. Not be blasé. But I want to encourage us to believe, as Jesus did, you are the one to reach the one. I have sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I believe there will be a harvest of souls amongst the modern-day Samaritan fields because the Samaritan fields are ripe now. Josh, believe for all those categories that you gave me, for all those young people, even though you haven't worked for them, believe for a harvest, a Samaritan harvest to come in. Lisa, all those groups that you're working with, They're on the fringes. Those who live in disrepute. Those who are outcasts. Those who feel useless. You keep sowing. And you keep believing for that harvest. I'll keep believing with you. And your team. That we're going to see something significant take place. In and around this area. For the glory of God. Steve. You have a passion to reach business people. And entrepreneurs. And do something significant for the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a Samaritan group. They feel like they're out there because nobody understands them. I want you to believe for God to do something amazing amongst that group for the glory and praise of God. And you've got a deep desire to see older people come to faith. Keep believing for God to do something significant amongst older people to the glory and praise of God. I wonder if we'd bow our heads for a moment.